0: Would you take your Bibles and turn with me to Second Chronicles chapter seven? Second Chronicles chapter seven. And look to the person next to you and say seven fourteen. To say, guys, just keep it in mind. Keep it in mind. The first nine chapters of Second Chronicles record the highlights of Solomon's forty-year reign over Israel. The book of Second Chronicles speaks really positively of Solomon and his accomplishments. It's kind of like Fox News looking at Donald Trump, okay? Speaks very positively about him. If you want to see another side of it, you would turn to the CNN, which would be First Kings chapters 1 and 11, and they kind of speak of some other thoughts about Solomon. They don't gloss over his faults. Second Chronicles... Begins with Solomon in humility, asking God for wisdom and knowledge to lead this great people. God responds by saying, since you've not asked for wealth, you've not asked for possessions, for honor, or for the death of your enemies, I'm going to give you all of those things. And I'm going to bless you with honor and wisdom like no king has ever known before and none after you will ever know. The book goes on to describe in great detail Solomon's great successes and accomplishments. It speaks of his many horses and his chariots. It it even tells you how many of them there were. It also speaks about this elaborate preparation that he undertook in the building of the temple. It talks about the construction of the temple. It talks about the furnishings of the temple and the articles of gold and silver inside of the temple. It speaks of the ark being brought into the temple with extravagant worship and praise. Solomon had meticulously planned and organized to have singers and musicians with harps and lyres and trumpets and cymbals in place. In preparation for all of this, they offered so many sacrifices that you could not even keep count of them. Solomon prepared meticulously for the building of the temple and for this dedicating of this temple to the Lord. When I think of Solomon, in my mind, the apex of Solomon's ring was after, I want to say this, it was after all of that preparation. It was after all of this work that he did when they brought the ark into the temple. Once again, this extravagant worship, this extravagant preparation, this extravagant praise, the Bible tells us that the glory of the Lord manifested in the temple as a cloud. So everybody knew Beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was in the house. God's glory filled that temple so profoundly that the priests were unable to perform their duties because of the glory of the Lord. I want to suggest to you that you and I today should take a lesson from Solomon. Now as I said, Solomon had a lot of faults and Second Chronicles doesn't tell us a lot about them. He had a lot of faults, but there's some things that we can learn from him. Such extravagant preparation, such detail, every intricate detail was thought of. The worship that was offered to God was top-notch. It was the best that they could come up with. And the Lord responded by manifesting his presence. God responded to all of this preparation to this extravagant worship, to this extravagant praise. He honored them by manifesting his presence or by showing up in their midst. I want you to think about what Solomon did to repair. The Bible tells us, it says on the one hand in preparation that they could not count all of the sacrifices, but they were able to count the sacrifices that Solomon shared with the Lord. The Bible tells us that there were 22,000 head of cattle and 120,000 head of sheep and goats. Now, let me put that in perspective. I made some phone calls and got some information. A full-size beef cattle today, you could fit probably 30 to 35 of them when they're full-grown onto a semi-truck. So this would be lined up to worship that day. I want you to hear this. 675 tractor and trailers. If you did it today, 675 tractors and trailers lined up end to end, waiting to be offered as sacrifice to the Lord. That's what Solomon gave. That's not all though. 120,000. 120,000 sheep and goats. That would be about a 1,000 tractor and trailer loads of sheep and goats. That if you lined those tractor and trailers touching end to end, it would extend over 25 miles. So if you get down here in the light at Blue Ball, and you travel on 322 towards Philadelphia, by the time that you got to Exton, you would see the end of the line of trucks that are waiting in line to be offered up to the Lord. Do you see this type of extravagant worship and praise that is offered to the Lord? To be honest, when I read about that, Solomon's preparation, it convicted me. How often I say, and how often you say, and how often we in the church say, we want God to show up in our midst. We long to have God's presence. We long to encounter God in a real and a tangible way. But oftentimes people do little in preparation or honoring of God. Oh yeah, I read my Bible through this year. Can I be honest with you? When I read about what Solomon offered to the Lord, I'm like, I listened to mine three times. Landon finished his second time about 15 minutes till midnight, he finished the second time through. He said, dad, do I get two steak dinners? I said, no, dude, you just get one. I'm sorry. We read our Bibles, we pray, we fast, we give our tithes and we give our offerings. In fact, probably most of us, have already done that for this month in advance. But as I was sitting there and I heard about all the preparation that Solomon had done and how he honored the Lord, I felt convicted in my heart. God, what I bring to you seems so small. If I really want to see your presence, if I really want to see your glory, am I going to see your glory by occasionally thinking of you or occasionally remembering you? Am I going to see the glory of God by spending five minutes in the morning or two minutes in the morning reading my devotional as I run out the door? Solomon honored the Lord with his wealth. He didn't reach into his pocket at the last minute and give his spare change and a few lint balls. He didn't throw something together at the last minute and then complain because God never shows up or because God never speaks to him. He made preparation for a visitation. He made preparation for God's visitation. Are you making preparation for God's divine visitation? Because God wants to visit somebody. His eyes roam throughout the earth. He's looking for a people. He's looking for someone whose heart is turned towards him. And so the question is, are you making preparation for God's divine visitation? He wants to visit. He wants to manifest his presence in the earth today. And he's looking for someone. And my question for you is, your preparation adequate? What are you doing? It convicted me to the point I went to the bank and I got money out. On my savings account. And I came over and I put it in. Because I'm like I'm not going to stand up and preach in front of those people. I know I can't buy God's presence. But it's a recognition that God you are holy. You are just. You are glorious and I want you. I'll give the things I've been saving. I'll give my time. I'll give my energy. Because I long to see your presence. I long to experience you. I long to encounter you. You are worthy of my entire life. Everything we have to give belongs to you. We pick up our text right after this glorious encounter that Solomon and the people of Israel had with God. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, it says, When Solomon had finished the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and had succeeded in carrying out all he had in his mind to do in the temple of the Lord and his own palace, the Lord appeared to him at night. That's his second time God appeared to Solomon. He appeared to him at night and said, I've heard your prayers, and I've chosen this place for myself as a temple for sacrifices. Verse 13. When I shut up the heavens so there's no rain or command locusts to devour the land or send a plague among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face... And turn from their wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sin. And will heal their land. Now my eyes will be open. And my ears attentive to the prayers. Offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple. So that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Then he gives Solomon a personal message. He says, as for you, if, we talked before about the promises of God are conditional. If you walk before me faithfully, as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne, as I coveted with David your father when I said, you'll never fail to have a successor to rule over Israel. But if you turn away and forsake the decrees and commands I have given you, And go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will uproot Israel from the land which I have given them and will reject this temple. I have consecrated for my name. I will make it a byword and an object of ridicule among all the peoples. This temple will become a heap of rubble. And all who pass by will be appalled and say, Why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? And people will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt and have embraced other gods, worshiping and serving them. That's why he brought all this disaster on them. Droughts, locusts, and plagues were synonymous with what? God's God's judgments, yes. At the apex of Solomon's reign... God made this glorious promise to him. He said, while I've chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice, if there ever comes a time in the future when I bring judgment upon my people, the implication would be that judgment is the result of sin and disobedience and their hearts growing callous and cold towards the Lord. He says, if judgment comes... They need only to turn to the Lord in humility and repentance. And they will find forgiveness and restoration. Verse 14 is a prescription for us today. It says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways... Then I will incline my ear from heaven. I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. God promises to hear the cries of the repentant from his throne in heaven. To forgive their sins, to remove their guilt, to heal their land and restore the damage that has been done. I'm just telling you this. I'm looking across a sea of people who have had that very experience in your life. You should not be sitting where you are today. Life should not be the way that it is for you today. But God in his graciousness and his kindness and his mercy, he didn't treat us as our sins deserve. But in grace and mercy, he found us, he picked us up, he brought us out of the miry clay, he set our feet on a solid rock most of us don't deserve. Now when I stand here, I'm telling you, I don't deserve the kindness and the mercy of God. I don't deserve that. I don't deserve all the things that he's brought into my life and all of the blessings because if I got what I deserve, my life would not be what it is today. But it's the kindness of God and anybody who finds themselves under a place of God's judgment coming in their lives? This prescription will work for anybody, any time, any place, any situation. Second Chronicles is a prescription that we must never forget. In fact, as a church, we're gonna put it into practice this week. You say, Pastor, my life's gone pretty good. Well, your life can go even better. Our lives can go even better. We can have breakthroughs. It's the blood of Jesus that provides us access to the very presence of God. He opened up a new and living way, Hebrews speaks of, through the curtain, through his blood. Yet our attitudes and our hearts are made right to experience his presence through following this prescription. I want to say that again. Our attitudes and our hearts are prepared to experience God's presence as we follow this prescription. The first thing that he said to them was to humble themselves, humility. It's the idea of having the proper low status in relation to authority. When the word says to humble yourself, it's not humiliation. Can I tell you that's what the devil's job is? The devil's job is to humiliate people. I've seen it again and again and you've seen it again and again. You let the devil in your life, you give the enemy a foothold in some way and he utterly humiliates you. He loves, he loves to beat you down. He loves to tear you down. He loves to humiliate you and embarrass you and rub your nose in the dirt. That's not the heart of God towards you. It's not humiliation. We need to have a clear biblical understanding of Scripture. Friend, you and I are made in the very image and likeness. Listen, you bear the image of God. Almighty God, the creator of the universe. His image is stamped on you. You reflect him. Even the person who hates God, who wants nothing to do with him. Man is created in the image and in the likeness of Almighty God. God breathed his breath, his spirit into man. And when God breathed his breath into mankind, life came into them. When God created the heavens and the earth and he made Yosemite. If you've ever been to Yosemite, Yosemite is a beautiful place. He made the Fiji Islands. And I've never been there, but the Fiji Islands are a beautiful place. He made the stars and he made the sun and he made the moon. And when God finished making them, every day was like, hey, it's good. But you know, when he finished making man... God stopped what he did. He looked at it and he said, it's very good. You are the pinnacle of God's creation. In the future, you do realize that as a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, that you will judge angels. You have been given divine authority. You will rule and reign with him. You were created to have dominion over the earth. Mankind is precious and valuable in God's sight. And the only thing in all of creation, because God is just and fair, the only thing in all of creation that can compare with your value and your worth was the life of His own Son, Jesus. When we humble ourselves, it's not the humiliation that the world has and that the world brings to people. When we humble ourselves, we willingly bring ourselves under authority. Jesus displayed this characteristic when he took on the form of a man and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Humility is a character trait of God. Psalms 113, who is like the Lord our God? The one who sits enthroned on high, who stoops down to look on the heavens and the earth. Ezra chapter 821 says, one of the ways we humble ourselves is through fasting. Ezra 21 says, I proclaimed the fast so that we might humble ourselves before the Lord. That's what we're going to be doing this week. We've proclaimed the fast as a church to begin our year. This week, we're setting aside a week of prayer and fasting. Whenever the people wanted to humble themselves before the Lord, in some ways to say to God, God, you are more important to me than the very basic things that I need to survive and to live. I need you more, and I recognize that I desire your presence. I want you more than what I want. Even food, the very things that keep me alive, I need you more than that. Whenever we fast, we are humbling ourselves. And so this week, that's what we're going to do. Pray. It's the second thing that he called him to, part of the prescription. And we know that prayer is communion with God. It's the pouring out of our soul unto the Lord with the expectation that God, the creator of the universe, will hear and will answer our prayers. It's not just yelling into the wind. We're going to gather together corporately this week for times of prayer. Each morning at 6 o'clock, the next six days, starting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday... I will see you here at 6. You don't have to dress up. I'm inviting you to join me. You don't have to put on makeup. We'll keep the lights low. We're inviting you to join us from 6 to 7 on your way to work. Stop in and we're going to make an appointment. It doesn't matter how you look. You know, say my hair, I'm not really ready. Here are people who you love and you're just happy to see them. Sometimes you're just happy to see people. I think that's the that way the Lord feels about us. We're going to make an appointment to encounter God and meet with him. Then again at noon, from noon till one, we'll gather here at the church. And we invite you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Those of you who are available at lunchtime to take a break from your lunch. Wednesday evening, our Wednesday night service will be for the adults. Uh will be turned into a prayer meeting. Uh, Jesus said this. He says that my house will be called a house of prayer. And so as we begin this new year, that's what we're going to do. We're asking. The third thing that he says is, so we pray, we communion with God, and can I say something to you? Because we always want to give stuff to God that doesn't cost us. Just being honest with you, the type of encounters with God that we need, the empowerment that we need from God doesn't usually come from the real easy, well, if it works out for me, I'll do it. If it doesn't cost me anything, David said, I'm not going to give God anything. It doesn't cost me. And so I'm asking you that for this week, that you make a sacrifice to meet with God, that you go out of your way faster. I have a lot to do. One of the things in life is it's nice to be able to do things in preparation. I don't like to get caught unprepared. I plan my life. I try to help my kids plan their lives so that they're not caught unprepared. Some people are in places of vulnerability because they don't prepare. We need to be prepared, and whenever we seek the Lord in the good times, when the difficult times come, we're already strengthened. We're already equipped. We're already empowered to face those things. The third thing is that we seek his face. This gives us the idea of seeking his presence or his acceptance. This involves an active pursuit of God. It involves a desire to encounter God in an intimate relationship. Sometimes there are people who, in their faith, they feel like the only thing with God is that they just need to occasionally hear the preacher preach for 25 minutes and to say a little prayer once in a while, and that's good. So that's not the type of church I want to have. That's not the type of relationship that I want to have with God, and that's not the type of disciples that I want to see raised up here at Lighthouse. I want to see a group of disciples, and I believe it's the heart of God, who have this longing in their heart God, I need you. I need you. I want to encounter you. I want to hear you speak to me. I want to be able to hear your voice. And people say, well, you're emotional. Well, you saw me when I stood up here. As I started this morning, I began to weep as we were singing that song about the goodness of the Lord. I've experienced his goodness. I've been touched by his goodness. I want the world who is lost and dying. Our neighbors and our friends. I want them to experience this goodness of God. I want this message of the gospel that's good news that Jesus came to save sinners and to rescue those who are broken, who are hurting, who have no hope that Jesus came to redeem them and give them life eternal. I want them to hear that. And I don't know that if I have this casual relationship with God where I meet with him once every three weeks for 30 seconds on the video screen, I don't know that that's going to do it for me. I don't think it's really going to do it for you either. And so I pray that God, he says that if you'll seek my face, it means an earnest pursuit, a desire to encounter God and experience him. And then the fourth thing is turn from their wicked ways. Oftentimes, this is the one that I think we get kind of messed up on. Because people try to turn from their wicked ways without doing the other ones first. I don't know if you notice that, if my people are called by my name. Judgment's coming. God's discipline. The consequences of a life without God has come upon the people. They're feeling overwhelmed. And for many people, they try to turn from their wicked ways. Well, I just got to get my stuff together. You got the cart before the horse. Pastor, if you can get rid of this stuff, I know things will be better. If I can change this. And in our efforts, we try and again and again, we fail and we fall short. We're disappointed. I believe that there's a reason why that's the last thing that's said. If my people are called by my name, we'll humble themselves. That's where it starts. With humility. Pray. Seek his face. You start following after God. I'm going to just say this to you. God will deal with those issues in your life. He's gracious. He's kind. He's loving. He'll deal with those circumstances. You're getting all your focus upon the circumstances and you're losing sight of the one who holds the stars into place. You don't think he can take care of your circumstance. You don't think he can intervene. You don't think he can provide for you. You don't think he can restore to you like that in a breath. If he spoke the word and the entire universe came into order, He's got the authority and the power. I'm telling you, you turn your eyes upon Jesus. You turn your eyes upon him. You look to him. You get in his presence. He has a wonderful way of when you get into his presence, he just changes you. You start reflecting his glory. You start reflecting his image. And he has a way that when you get into his presence, things just fall off of us. I don't change myself. We work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. But it's God who works in you. Both to will and do His good pleasure. This week, I'm asking for a commitment from you. Asking for a commitment from you. I'm asking you to get out of bed. I'll see you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. I'll be here a couple minutes before 6. You'll see me rolling in. 6 o'clock from 6 to 7. Those of you who don't work during the day or who have our work and you live at work in the area and you can come by at noon. And I'll even throw in this Friday night for those of you say, pastor, that didn't work. Church at Wednesday, I'll be here again on Friday. But we're going to do this corporately. And this is what we're going to see. We're going to see God here from heaven. He's going to turn his attention towards you and your situations. He's going to forgive our sins. He's going to forgive the sins. of our nation. He's going to restore. He's going to heal our land. That's what he's going to do. When God says something, he means it. and He keeps his word. Father, today, I thank you for the prescription that your word offers to us. What a gracious, good God we serve. What a compassionate father. Lord, you abound in love. And I'm asking today, as we set our hearts this week a week of prayer and fasting, a week of drawing near to you, a week of turning off our televisions and setting aside some of the comfort of things that entertain us as we set aside food for the purpose of drawing near to you. I thank you, Father, that you are going to hear our prayers. Lord, I know that we can never earn your goodness and your mercy. I know we can never earn your kindness or your forgiveness or earn your attention. But Lord, we set our hearts to know you, and we set our hearts to honor you. And I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that when we do that, you're gonna manifest your glory. You're gonna show up in our families. You're gonna show up in our homes. You're gonna show up in our businesses. You're gonna show up in our jobs. You're gonna show up in our marriages. You're gonna show up in our church, and you're gonna be glorified. And we thank you and praise you for that. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. I love you. I hope you have a great day in the Lord. Thank you for being with us.